you in your holy name. Amen. Thank you, thank you. Wow, Emma, you sang that like you believed it. <laughs> thank you. We appreciate it. You know we have been on a journey through Mark's gospel, and today we take another step forward. So if you have your copy of God's Word, find your place with me in Mark chapter 6. And we're going to look at the story that's contained between verses 7 and 13 of chapter 6 of Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. The Bible says, beginning in verse number 7, And he, that is Jesus, summoned the twelve, and he began to send them out in pairs, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics or don't even take two shirts with you. And he said to them, Where, or wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. I don't know, it must have been about a year or so ago, uh, my wife discovered this online clearinghouse that sells any type of product that you could possibly imagine. You can buy anything from contact lenses to uh, high-tech surveillance equipment at a greatly reduced price. So about three or four times a week I have to go out to the mailbox with a wheelbarrow and pull all, type of, all types of gadgets from China out of my mailbox and then I have the assignment of trying to figure out how do you make these silly things work. And, you know, the instructions are always written in Chinese or German, anything other than English and Portuguese and Greek. I mean, if they'd hit one of those three, we'd have been okay. <laughs> but they never do. So I always end up frustrated somewhere pulling what little bit of hair I have out saying, how do you make this silly thing work? Because no matter what you do, you just can't make it work. So usually that week my garbage can ends up about half full of reduced price gadgets that she's bought from a clearing house somewhere in China that I couldn't figure out how to make work. So I want to speak to you today on that subject. How do you make this thing work? And you know that's a question that can be asked about a lot of things. As we take the low altitude flyover of this passage it's very plain to see that this passage is about missions. Jesus sent the disciples out with a very specific mission to go and preach to those who had never heard. I, I wish I could tell you how many times I've used the corollary passage to this text that's found in Luke's Gospel, in Luke chapter 9, at mission conferences or in churches that we were mobilizing, or in mission seminars, or something like that. Because the text is thoroughly about missions, and it's very missionary. 
But as you take a higher altitude flyover, you begin to see that this passage can apply to just about any mission that you have today in life. So, you know, your mission may be, how do I make this thing work as it relates to life in general? Because you know, life is very complicated. And when you start thinking about all the intricacies of, of human psychology and our emotion and how we're wired, it's a wonder that any of us are sane. Did you know that? If you ever just stop and think about all the moving parts that comes with being a person who is a complex organism created in the image of God, how do you make this thing work for 70 or 80 years? How do you hold it in the center of the road? And by the way, if life is God's product, doesn't it logically follow that if it's His product, it has to be ran according to His plan and His instruction book if it's going to operate at maximum and peak performance? I mean, if we're going to have abundant life and we're going to experience everything that God intends us to experience in this life that He gives us, then there's got to be a master plan somewhere. So how do you make this thing work? No matter what your mission is. No matter if it's the mission of, of, of Matthew and Kristen or Dane and Cheryl or John and Sarah or Cliff and Myra, no matter what it is, no matter whether it's a mission of taking the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth and preaching to people who've never heard, or whether it's just trying to get through a rough patch that you're going through today. Maybe it's just trying to develop a little bit more consistency in your walk with Christ. Maybe it's trying to kick once and for all a debilitating habit that's robbing you of the life that God intended for you to experience. No matter what your mission, how do you make this thing work? And I think this passage answers that question beautifully for us. So here we go. How do you make this thing work as it relates to life? And this passage gives us three or four answers. Let me point them out to you as we walk through this text. Number one, you make this thing work, life in general... Number one, this passage teaches us by spending time in His presence. Notice what it is that the Scripture says here in verse number 7. And He, that is Jesus, summoned the twelve. Now that's very interesting because before you can do anything, before you can be effective out there, you must spend time in His presence. I love what, the, what Luke says in, in Acts when he talks about the apostles that they were ignorant and unlearned men but folk could tell that they had been with Jesus. There's just something different about folks who were coming from the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me show you how this fleshes out in this passage of Scripture because if we're going to make this thing work, make no mistake about it, we must spend time with Him. Do you know that life was created for the purpose of living it in fellowship with God Almighty? I mean, that's what it was all about. I mean, one of the greatest confessions of faith is that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy His presence forever. Forever. 
from this life on out into eternity. So notice how it is that we spend time in His presence. And notice what it is that this text tells us because I've always heard folks say that you've got to be spending time with the Lord. Well, how do you do that? This text has some great insights. Number one, here's how we do it. We spend time in His presence by facing Him. Now let me show you how this comes out in this verse. You see these words right here in verse number, number 7? And He summoned, He summoned that is a, a, a configuration of two Greek words that means literally you come to someone and you are in a face-to-face -face conversation with them. You're facing them. As a matter of fact, I think the King James hits it a little bit more squarely than does the New American Standard because the King James tries to get its arms around this Greek word when it says this. He summoned the twelve unto himself. Or literally, he called the twelve unto himself. Do you know what the, the primary calling in life is from God to you? It's not the call to be a missionary. It's not the call to be a pastor. It's the call to come and sit in a face-to-face -face relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he did to these guys. Hey, before, you're, before you can do anything, that's job number one. He calls you unto Himself. And the Greek word again means to be in a face-to-face, -face, eye contact relationship, conversation. So call them unto Himself. So how do you make this thing work? By spending time in His presence. And that means a face-to-face -face relationship. But number two, it also has the nuance of this. We, we spend time in His presence. We do this by facing Him. And we also do this by giving Focused attention. Focused attention. And you know what that means? Let me tell you what it means. My wife tells me all the time, because I'm busy. I'm just busy, Cliff. You know what I mean? You are too. And busy people, it's hard to have their undivided attention. Am I right? But look, we've got to do that. You know, I've made it a practice. And, and who is it? Is it Beth Moore that says, wherever you are, be all there? And you know what keeps us from ever we are. Most time it's that silly little cell phone. Somebody, which is something I do quite often. You know what I do with my cell phone? Nothing bothers me more. They got a text message and they go to reading their text message while I'm talking to them. Ask me. <laughs> Baby, I'm listening. No, you're not. Look. That's focused attention. You see, that's face-to-face. -face. Now, I can tell there's, there's a lot of folk come to church on Sunday, but there's no focused attention. They're off somewhere else. They're, they're, they're laying on a beach under a big umbrella somewhere. But here, there's no focused attention. And there's nothing going to take place by osmosis until you're in a face-to-face -face relationship with Him and you are giving Him your undivided, focused attention. Watch me. This thing ain't gonna work. It's just not. It's not good English, but it's pretty good theology, isn't it? Check it out. Notice, how else do we make it work? We do this by facing Him. We spend time in His presence by facing Him. We do this by giving focus, attention. And then third, we do this by finishing the assignment. Look at what else the Bible says. 
He summoned the twelve unto him. So they were in a face-to-face conversation. They gave him focused attention. And then look at the next words. He began to send them out. So there was their mission. Listen, you're not qualified for whatever your mission is until you've done those first two. Until you're in a face-to-face relationship and until you have given him your undivided focused attention. Now after they did that for a little while, then they were qualified to be sent out. So what were they to do next? Well, they were to finish the assignment. Whatever the assignment is, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you what your assignment is, but I can promise you God has given you an assignment today. Today. If you have been in a face-to-face relationship with Him, you've given Him undivided attention, He has given you an assignment. Do you know what it is? Well, that's job number one. Figure out what it is. But hey, job number two is knowing that He has given you this assignment. There's a sense of divine call in that. There's a sense of knowing that what I'm doing is not just something that I want to do, but it's something that God has placed in front of me. And I must do it in order to be faithful to God. Can I say, when we teach in missionary students up at the Baptist College of Florida, do you know where I start with brand new students? Here's where I start. Tell me about your sense of call. Because if you don't have that sense that this is a divine assignment given to you by God, I promise you, you won't finish it. You will not. The only thing that kept Matthew and Kristen, Dane and Cheryl, Richie and Heather, in the jungles of the hill, when everything was against us, we didn't understand the word, we didn't understand the culture, we, we just couldn't connect. The only thing that'll keep you there when everything is against you is knowing that this is not me, but this is an assignment that comes from God Almighty. It's the only thing that'll keep you there. So watch me. No matter what your mission is, if it's just something you want to do, hear me, you're going to wash out. You're not going to finish it. Because as soon as the going gets tough, you'll talk yourself out. Well, it was easier where I was. Keep the demons that I Just stay like Because it's easier that way. And we end up taking the path of least resistance. You have the least enjoyment in life because you're doing that. Sense of divine call. He sent them out. He sent them out. Notice, he first calls them to himself, and then he sends them out. J.P. Greer says that, that the divine economy is like a tornado. God first sucks you in, and you're whirling around in this divine tunnel with God. And then when he grows you up after you've been in a face-to-face relationship, you understand a little bit about him and what he wants to do with your life. Then like that tornado spits debris out, he spits you out to go fulfill the assignment. And that's exactly what we see taking place in this passage. Notice what else? Well, how do you live in His presence? By facing Him, by focused attention, by fellowshipping, or by finishing the assignment. And then fourth, we do this in fellowship with a partner. Check this out. Jesus nowhere intended you to be your own ranger. You can't live in isolation and at the same time cannot, cannot. And you see, this is what the church is about. Hey man, we're, we're one big spiritual support group helping one another complete our mission. Is that right? 
That's what we are. You're not going to find that anywhere else. You can't complete your mission that God has for you in life if you're isolated and you're alone. Look what the Bible says Jesus did. He sent them out in pairs. I have one rule for all of our missionaries, for all of our ministers, all of our students, and here it is, never do ministry alone. Never, never, ever always have somebody. It's almost as if Jesus has given us an accountability partner. And if you're a part of a church, he's given you, there's 70 accountability partners here today. It will not work if we try to do it alone. So he gives us a partner. Man, I want to tell you, if you don't have a mentor, I'd get one. If you don't have somebody that you're mentoring, I'd get somebody. I mean, that's just the way it is. And don't be afraid to ask. Just ask somebody. Hey, man, here's my mission. I need help. You get somebody that's a little farther down the road than you are. And let them pour into your life. And then you find somebody who's a little bit behind, a little bit that way, a little bit south, a bit farther behind down the road than you are. And you pour into them. So how do you live in His presence? Well, there's four good ways right there. By facing Him, by giving Him focused attention, by finishing the assignment, by having fellowship with a partner, and then let me tell you what He does. When all of that stuff is done, then He fills you with His authority. You can't do a thing without His authority. Why did He give them His authority? Because they have none of their own. I have none of my own. They were going up against demons. How would you like to go up against a demon with your own authority? There are several examples as it tried that in the Bible, and I love it. One passage in Acts chapter 19 says they got whipped naked. Can you imagine a demon beating your clothes off of you? Well, that's what happened to these old boys. They said, Paul we know, Peter we know, but who are you? And the demons came out of a man, jumped on them, and tore the clothes off of them. They, they left running naked. It's crazy. You've you got to have his authority in life. You've got to have his authority in ministry. You've got to have his authority to complete your mission or you are no match for the obstacles and the challenge that's in front of you. You just don't. You, there's no way you can succeed without his authority. Look at this word. Notice what the Bible says here. The Bible says, and, and he, uh, uh, in verse number 7, and he gave them authority. The Greek word there is the word exousia. Here's the word I want you to, to, to the English word I want you to associate with. Exudes. Exudes. Because that word authority means it comes from one's inner nature. And it just exudes out. Now have you ever known somebody that, man, they, they didn't have to be shouting all the time that they were in that they were, they were the one who was in charge, that they were the boss, that they were the commander. They didn't have to shout all that stuff and let everybody know all the time because just something about their presence. They walk into a room and you can just sense that their presence commands respect. Have you ever known anybody like that? Then you understand what this word's talking about. It means that authority just exudes out of them. And you know that in their presence, foolishness doesn't normally fly and it doesn't normally grow. 
that's the kind of authority that Jesus gives us. It's authority that grows out of your nature as God. And that's what He does. To all who believed in Him, to them He gave the power, exousia, the authority to become the children of God. And it just flows naturally or supernaturally, I should say, right out of your nature, right out of your being, right out of your identity because of who you are. It's not something that you have because of a title. It's not something you have because of position. It's something you have because of who you are as a child of God. Well, how do we make this thing work? i got to run. Number one, by spending time in His presence. But number two, by depending on His provisions. Notice what He does in verses 9. He instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey. Do you know the number one reason I get when I'm doing a mission conference or a, a, a mobilizing workshop or something like that from folk? Folk, normally when you start talking about mission work, here's what they normally say. Here's the trump card they throw on the table. Well, I just don't have the resources to be a missionary. And you know what I when they tell me that? Excellent. You're just the candidate Christ is looking for. Because if you have something, he demanded that you get rid of it. I mean, isn't that what he did? He didn't say, wait till you have a certain amount of money in the bank. He said, get rid of what you got and then go. You know why he did that? Because he wants us not dependent upon all the stuff that we have accumulated, but he wants us depending upon him to provide for us. Give us this day our daily bread. Dane, does he do that? My goodness, he'll move heaven and earth. When you are on mission with him, when you are... When you have set your hand to complete the, the divine assignment that God has given you, I'm telling you the resources will be there. He doesn't cause, call us to make brick without straw. He does. He'll provide. And now notice what he told these guys. He told them, he said, and don't take anything with you. No bread, no bag. Have you ever noticed... My goodness, it used to embarrass me to no end because short-term mission teams would come to Brazil. They would bring more in their suitcases than quilombolas have in their entire house. <laughs> what are we saying about ourselves? i tell you what we're saying. We're saying we're spoiled Americans that can't live unless we have a certain amount of stuff. Of stuff. Can I just say to you that your effectiveness is going to be more challenged by having too much stuff than having not enough stuff? Are you with me? Are you following me? I had a missions prof in seminary. He used to tell us this. He said, boys, y'all got to learn to live light. You got to learn to live light. He said, as a matter of fact, go to your closet. and Look through your closet. And boy, I've been doing this lately. Heather and I are in the process of moving. And the way I move is I say, chunk it out, baby. We don't need it. <laughs> you know, I pull a shirt off the rack. And if I hadn't worn it in the last two months, which is what the professor said. He said, go to your closet, and if there are shoes or if there is a shirt in there that you hadn't worn in more than two months, you probably don't need it. Get rid of it. Live light. Can I just say there's something freeing about being a minimalist? <laughs> Isn't there? There is. Now, I'm not saying I am one, but I sure wish I could be. I, I, hey, maybe a tiny house. Maybe we ought to downsize. You'd live in a tiny house or something like that. I, I don't know. But there's something about not having our stuff control us. There just is. 
Johnny Hunt was here a couple of weeks ago, sat right there. Am I lying? Didn't he? He did. He came sat right there. And I heard Johnny Hunt say one time, Johnny Hunt said, if God spoke audibly to most of us today and told us that he wanted us to go to Bangladesh, it'd take us six months before we could be obedient because we got so much stuff we'd have to get rid of. And I thought, you know, that's exactly right. Our obedience is more hampered by stuff, by too much stuff, by not enough stuff. So don't come around here and tell me you can't complete God's missions because you just don't have the resources. That's what qualifies you to be on mission with Him is you don't have the stuff. You don't have the baggage. You're not carrying it around with you. So if this thing's going to work, hear me. We've got to learn to depend upon His provisions. Number next, how do you make this thing work? By spending time in His presence, by depending on His provisions. Number three, by making decisions based on principle. Based on principle. And when I say principle, I mean biblical principle. You know, it doesn't take long to be around somebody you can tell where they are in their walk with Christ by just looking at the decisions that they're making and what the basis for their decisions are. Every one of us have some type of authority upon which we make our decisions, whether it's a big decision, a life decision, or whether it's a routine decision of the day. So let me just ask you, what is the basis for you making your decisions? Is it a principle of God's Word or is it this? Because here's what, here's what 99% of people make decisions based upon. Preferences. This is what I want. It's what I, how I like to do it. It's what I want to do. Or they make their decisions based on emotion. Well, this just feels good. Their decisions based on finances. Well, how much is it going to cost me? Well, this is the best financial decision. Can I say to you, you are going to end up running into a dead end one day making decisions like that. Can I say that this thing will not work until we learn to start making decisions based upon something that's a little sure found? And emotions and the almighty dollar. God's Word is the foundation upon which our decisions are going to... if this thing is going to work. And notice, he gives them a couple examples here of decision making. Let me show you what they are. Notice what he says in, in verse number 10. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Now, watch. I've had the privilege of sitting under some of the finest, most educated and brilliant minds in theological scholarship in the United States. I have. I have. And even after that, I got out of seminary and I had no idea what Jesus was talking about in that verse. When you go into a place and you enter a house, stay there until you leave. What in the world does that mean? I had no clue until I became a missionary and I found myself in a Quilombo village in the northeast of Brazil. Then I understood. Here's a decision. Here's what Jesus is telling us. Here's the decision number one. Where to live? Where are you going to live? Where are you going to stay? Can I say to you, I, I, I've made my last decision about where I'm going to live based on my preference. <laughs> that got us in a world of trouble one time. And I will just say to you, if you've if you got to move in your future, 
you better make it on, on, on something more than where you want to go or where you have to go. And I'll tell you, if I ever move again, the first thing I'm going to look, look for is a good church. And if I ain't a good Bible teaching, a good sending church there, this old boy's not going to move. <laughs> That's all he is to it. In the United States of America, and I go to Brazil where there's not one because it's our job to plant them and start them there. But here's what this text means when he's telling us to make this decision of where you live based on principles. Here's how, here's how I learned it. Because here's what happens as a missionary. You go into a place where there is no church and you're the missionary, right? And you're just living there. And, and, and here's what the houses are. The houses are mud huts with thatch roofs, not sealed in any way, no air condition, no inside plumbing, no hot water, none of that. If you've got a hammock to lay in and a fan to blow on you to keep those mosquitoes from eating you up at night, hey, you're very fortunate. So here's what will happen. You go into a place like that and you've been building a, a, a credibility with them and there's somebody that always is drawn to you. That's called the man of peace. God will draw that man of peace to you. And he'll say, come and stay with me while you're here. And, and you know, he's got this, that, and the other, and it's all very meager. And, and you go and you stay there, and you're sleeping in a hammock. You don't have a fan. You, and Heather and I have had to do this before. We've had to take a sheet before and cover our heads up just to get a break from mosquitoes eating us. And we would stay under a sheet until we about suffocated. And we'd have to pull the sheet down in order to breathe for two or three minutes then the mosquitoes would eat us up so much, we'd do that. So all night, zero sleep. Are you with me? Zero sleep from fighting heat and mosquitoes all night. But here's what's happened. After you've been there a week or two, it never fails. You're going to meet another man. And he's going to say, come on to my house. And he's going to say, where are you staying? Well, I'm staying with old brother. He says, well, wait a minute. I've got a little better house than that. I've got... An air conditioner. You've got what? <laughs> I've got a lay-down bed. You've got what? All of a sudden, it's very easy to hear God calling you to that man's house. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus said, don't do it. There's a principle at stake. If you do it, what you're going to teach in that village is that missionaries are worried about their own comfort more than they are the gospel, the integrity of the gospel. And he said, don't do it. Whenever you go into one house, care if the next one is a mansion. I don't care if they got a jacuzzi and a bidet in the bathroom. You stay where you are for the gospel's sake. And he says this thing ain't going to work if you don't make decisions based upon principles. Decision number one, where are you going to live? Decision number two, verse number 11, when are you going to leave? The first decision, where to live. Decision number two, where to leave. You know, here's the thing about it. Most folk just don't know how to make a good exit. Have you ever known that? Have you ever seen noticed that? I mean, no matter what we leave in, we normally leave throwing hand grenades over our shoulder as we leave, destroying everything behind us. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, it doesn't matter where you leave in one job, going to another. I've seen pastors do that. Leave one church, go to another, and they just throwing hand grenades over their shoulders on the way out the door. There ain't no sense in that. Leave good is what Jesus is saying here. When to leave. And hey, knowing when to leave is critical, is it not? I was in some store the other day and they had a sign cash register that said, everybody makes us happy here. Some by coming, others by leaving. But nonetheless, we're happy. 
So you got to know when to leave. So that's what he does here. He tells them when to leave. Now check this out. Look what he says. And again, it's one of those things that I didn't understand in seminary sitting under Dr. Ph.D. I just never got this. And notice what he says. And the place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. Here's what missionaries have to discern. They have to discern the difference between a... and an open village. Because most all of them are receptive, they're hospitable. But not all of them are open to the gospel. And you've got to discern that. Because the devil would love for you to spend your entire life in a closed village. Because if he can get you to spend in your entire life right there in that closed village, the open one down the road will never hear the gospel. So he's telling them how and when to leave. And if you make your decisions based upon emotion, here's what you'll do. Oh no, I just love these people too much. I can't leave them. Jesus says, leave them. They're not listening. They're not getting it. Dr. John Wilson, you can pour your life into a disciple for two years and if they're not getting it, Jesus says, leave them. Leave them. But we're so soft. We make all our decisions based on touchy-feely, mushy-mushy, my emotion. Jesus says, you've got to start learning to live by principle and if they're not getting it, you leave them. Because if you spend all your time working on a knothead, the next one who I am calling to myself will never hear it. Never hear it. So here's what we've done many times in the northeast of Brazil. See, a missionary's job is to get through as many Quilombola villages as he can and establish a church, a gospel witness there. And we went to one... Man, they were receptive. They ate us up. They, gave, they made barbecue for us every time we went. Woo-hoo! But they were no more interested in the gospel than the man in the moon. So we finally had to say, all right, guys, this is our last time to come. It's been good meeting y'all. It's been good knowing you. But we got stuff to do, places to go, people to meet. We got to go. We went out and left them. Never heard anything for two years. And then one day I'm sitting in my house in Cururupu, Maranhão, Brazil. And there's this guy pulls up in front of my house on a motorcycle and he gets off. And he comes up and he says, Pastor Richie. I said, yep. He said, do you remember me? I said, I do. He said, I'm from this village called Entry Hughes. I said, I remember very well. He said, and I'm here today. My village sent me up here to apologize to you because two years ago you came out and you were trying to teach us the gospel. We had absolutely no interest and we were disrespectful to you. So I'm here, number one, to ask your forgiveness. And number two, I'm asking you to come back. We want to hear now. We went back, and those folk responded to the gospel. And now there's believers in that village that had before then never heard the gospel. What would have happened if we had just kept coddling them? We'd have been going out eating barbecue until now, and there'd probably be nobody there. But when we walked off and left them sitting in abstract spiritual darkness... And they realized that light was available, it opened their eyes. I got to run. Notice number next. How's this thing going to work? Well, this thing's going to work when you spend time in His presence. It's going to work by depending on His provision. It'll work when we make decisions based on principle. And number four, then we will see His power. We'll see His power. We'll see His power demonstrated in our life. 
We'll see His power poured out on our mission and our work and we'll start being fruitful. Things will start happening. Life will start working. The mission will start coming together when we follow this simple plan that He laid out for these disciples that day. Let me show you how that happens. Look in verse number 12 and 13. They went out and preached that men should repent. Why did they see His power? Number one, because they preached a message that was consistent. A message that was consistent. Consistent with what is a good question. Well, in Mark chapter 1, go back sometime and read it. Do you know what John the Baptist preached in Mark chapter 1? Repentance. Do you know what Jesus repeat, uh, preached the very first time He opened His mouth in Mark chapter 1 verse number 15? Repent. So it's pretty good to be consistent with John the Baptist and Jesus, is it not? But here's something else they were consistent what they were preaching matched the way they were living. That's consistency. And son, when your actions reflect the message that you preach, there's power. There's power. As long as we're saying, don't do as I do, do as I say, we'll never experience the divine power of God in our life. Or on our work. We just won't. It'll never work. It never works. Man, they preached a message that was consistent. And now look what happened because they were consistent. Notice what verse number 13 said. They were casting out many demons, were anointing with oil many people, many sick people and healing them. Number one, they saw His power when they preached a message that was consistent. And number two, the same ministry as Christ. What's Christ been doing up to now? He's been kicking out the demons of hell from ravaging people's lives. He's been healing. He even brought one girl in Matthew 5 back from the dead. And here's what Jesus said. Because I go to the Father. Greater things than I do, you will do. Hey, why is the power of God not upon us today? This text answers the question. Probably because we're not spending time in His presence. Probably because we're not depending on His provisions. Probably because we're not making decisions based on principles. And therefore, we're not seeing a whole lot of His power. How do you make this thing work? And it's as simple as the message that those guys preached in that day because truth is eternal. It never goes out of style. Repent and believe the gospel. Repentance means I'm tired of trying to do it my way because it obviously is not working. I've been doing it. I've taken a big hammer. I've tried to fit a, a square peg into a round hole. It's not working. There's got to be another way. I'm turning around. It's 180 degrees. I got to do it God's way. That's repentance. Turning around. It's a life change. It's a change of direction. It's transformation. Placing your faith in Christ and having Him make you a new creation. Hey, that past where it didn't work, He wipes it away. You become new. You start over. Now you're heading a completely different direction because you're a new creature in Christ. Hey, He's glorified when this thing works. He created you in His image. He's calling you to Himself in Christ Jesus. 
Nothing makes him happier than to look and say, yeah, check him out. Look at her. It's working because they're doing it by the book. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that it meets